Welcome to Two Old Bulls. My name is Tom and I'm joined by my partner, Paul. Together we have 75 years of combined sales and management experience. On Two Old Bulls, Paul and I will interview a variety of guests from all types of backgrounds. Our goal is to entertain, inform, and help you grow in whatever you do. So welcome to Two Old Bulls. Now let's get started. Hey, Paul, how's it going this morning? It's a good morning here in Pennsylvania, Tommy. How about with you, buddy? Oh, it's fall, man. You know how I feel about fall. It's awesome. Uh, it's dark outside, actually. You're looking forward to uh, some football. Michigan's got a real opponent. Uh, bad news this week for you. But, hey, we're not going to talk about football. I know you're kind of irritated by that whole thing. And Oklahoma has two losses, and uh, I'm not real happy. But, anyway, uh, today is kind of unique uh, we talked over the last few weeks and, and things are going well for, uh, two old bulls. And, uh, uh, again, you can find us on LinkedIn if you haven't done it already. Uh, and also on, uh, Spotify and Apple, uh, app for a podcast. So, but we talked about guests and how much we loved interviewing people and, uh, Ross was great last time, but one thing we haven't done for our audience is, uh, talk to each other and dig into Paul Baco and dig into Tom Sanders. So uh, we decided that Bull will interview Bull and we flipped a coin and you're going to interview me today. You're the lucky guy. Yeah. You better ask me some good questions or I'll just go off on you. Oh, dude, I got some good ones. Lined I'll, up. I'll pull that uh, hockey jersey over your head. <laughs> I remember that one time. That was another for another day. <laughs> We yes. were at some restaurant and you almost kicked a guy's ass. I, I never, I'll never, I've never seen you like that. The nice Paul Bako went nuts. All, All right. right. Well, we'll save All that right. for stories from on the road by Tom and Paul. <laughs> Go the for one, it, Paul. The ones we can tell. Well, Tee you know what, big boy, buddy, we've known each other a long time and I have great respect for you. And not only as a friend, but in the business world. And it all started back when you went to college. So the, the first question I have for you is, as you entered college, what were your thoughts about where you wanted that to take you? What were your thoughts? I had no clue. And uh, I was 17. I was young. My mom put me into uh, kindergarten when I was four just to get me out of the house. I was crazy and uh, had all kinds of uh, ADD and everything. So when I went to college, I had no idea, Paul, being perfectly honest. I just went to college because my buddies went to college, which is another thing. You you hang out with the average of five of your of your friends, and, and I I hung out with some awesome guys. And if they're listening, uh, they made a huge influence on my life. Uh, all the guys that are out there. Uh, so I went to college. I had no idea, Paul. I was seventeen. Uh, had to pay for my college one hundred percent. My parents started a business right when I went to college. Great timing, uh, mom. <laughs> and stepdad thank you thank you for that but now uh i went to college uh and you know i had no clue i just knew i was going to college my older brother was there uh, all my buddies were there and i just you know i do what most kids do paul you just kind of i want to be around my buddies so i went to i went to university of oklahoma no idea worked in the cafeteria uh, i was in the back washing dishes with a, a guy named bo 
and he was awesome. I need to look him up. We were the, the studs in the back washing dishes and we took pride in it. And uh, I had an English professor uh, that uh, I was in that class. And believe it or not, I was the guy that was talking most of the time in the in the class. Can you imagine? Hard to that? believe. Hard to yeah, believe. Yeah, I mean, I was real quiet. Not, shy, not really. Shy Tommy Sanders. I mean, I, yeah, I, I had yeah. to bring you out of your shell. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I was real bashful. So it is interesting because in high school, I was more of the wallflower type. But in college, I, I seemed to kind of blossom for some reason. And then... So I was in this class one day, and I'll never forget it. He said, Tom, after class, I need you to sit back and and uh, talk with me. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm in trouble, right? So he, I, everybody leaves, and I'm sitting in there with him. He was a cool cat. He, he drove a motorcycle. He was probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. And he's like, I think you need to join me over here at this cable company because I see some talent in you. And I, here I am. I'm clueless, Paul. I, you know, I didn't know. He, I'm like, what do you want to do? What's the idea? He goes, I need you to get, I need you to take this sales job. I think you can do it. So I go down there. It's an inside uh, deal where they're calling people, upgrading their uh, cable service. This is in the early days of, of cable. And I get on the phones and I had no idea what I was doing, but I just started uh, intuitively calling people. Well, apparently my closure rate was like 10 times higher than anybody in there. So their, the manager was a lady and she pulled me into her office and said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm calling people. She goes, no, what are you doing? Cause you're killing everybody and they're jealous. And I'm like, I have no idea. All you can do is just listen in and you can pick up what I'm doing. Cause back then I had no idea, Paul. So they listened help. in, they literally got around my phone and listened to me make like, I don't know, 10 calls. And I closed whatever percentage and we get done and everybody's like, there's no script here. He, he, every time he calls somebody, it's a different deal. So I said, I don't know what to tell you guys. I just go with it. You know, if I hear a guy cooking, I ask him what he's cooking. If he, I hear a dog barking, I ask him what kind of dog it is. And I'm just kind of going with my gut. And uh, so then I get into outside sales. I'm going door to door, Paul, door to door, knocking on doors, selling cable TV, uh, summer, winter, whatever. And, uh, man, I could tell, I could write a book on this one. It's crazy. So I'm going door to door selling cable TV. And this is back when people had three channels and I'd go talk to people and they're like, why do I need 52 channels? I watch one at a time. So I already had objections and I got bit by a few dogs and ran down the street. I saw people doing weird stuff. I mean, you can't even imagine. So just visualize this. Tom with hair walking around the streets of Norman, Oklahoma. That was me and uh, did very well at it. I remember back in those days, I was making like 15 grand in the summers, which just do the math on that, you know, back in those days, that's, that's a lot of money. And, um, you know, did that and basically keep in mind, I, I had to work the summers to pay for tuition. I was driving my beater 67 Mustang and, uh, so I had I had to make money or I was not going to get through college. Uh, I remember, um, you know, eating sometimes which was a challenge and and I'd have to be creative on on what I ate and went, you know, all the money side of it because I had no safety net. My parents were spent. And so I had no out. And it kind of reminds me of these entrepreneurs of when you have no out, you make it happen. 
And so uh, that was me. And, and so I think about this now and it's like, that's crazy town. You know, that, that was really when I discovered Paul that maybe I can do sales. It was a great experience for you, right? The first thing I, when I'm thinking about too, and maybe you can broaden this a little bit is, is we talked about a little bit when you're profiling a customer and getting ready Well, on this job, you didn't have that opportunity. You were literally doing it in the phone call. You were literally profiling that, uh, that customer as you made the phone call by again, heard him cooking. What are you cooking? A dog? What kind of dog you have? Those are, those are, I think things that obviously have stuck with you through your whole career. Yeah. I mean, people write books, do seminars on all the sales, uh, consultant, sell, consultative selling, all these things that, you know, you read. And I keep telling you and the audience, sales is not rocket science. Get to know people, be personable. I mean, I tell my new people all the time that I ask them, what's, what's your goal going in here? We're making our first call, whatever. I said, what's your goal going in here? And they talk about product. They talk about, you know, they talk about all the stuff that, you know, that you typically would hear. And I say, I, I, I want to mention something to you that may surprise you. What your goal in here is to connect and yeah. be human. Your goal is to connect and be human. If somebody doesn't, I'm not going to say like you, cause that's a little cheesy, but if they don't connect with you and see that you're human and you're struggling like they are, and that you care about their business and they're struggling if you don't find some level of a human element of connecting, your your closure rate's going to drop like a rock. So I did this early, and I don't know why or how I got it in my DNA. I talk about DNA probably because of my upbringing, probably because of my experience back home. I did this, and, and I just did it, and it worked. What's interesting to me is, is you did it in a field that we would consider – a tough sales job. I mean, we, we had Ross Chode on last week or the last podcast and he was great. And again, that was auto sales, right? There's a lot of times salespeople look at that as like the lower level of sales. When you look at uh, what you just did in cable sales, I, I'm going to say it's kind of right there on that and you found your niche. So you, you found your niche, you, you got through college. What was your decision then? Well, I get through college and it was a battle. I mean, I got from, went from the, the selling door to door and then, uh, but believe it or not, I was getting my hair cut and I have not I have no hair now, but I used to have hair. Uh, I was getting my hair cut, this lady, and she said, yeah, my husband's getting out of the lawn care business. And so I went into a lawn care business with a buddy of mine and we did that. And that was very lucrative. We did some other stuff, detailing cars. And keep in mind, I was a cash hungry person. I mean, I had to survive. So I grinded out of the dirt, took me five years to get through it. And, uh, so I dug it out of the dirt, graduated with a BS, uh, business administration, uh, bachelor's of science, university of Oklahoma. Um, great experience. Absolutely loved it. And, uh, by, by, but by this time I was ready to get, get out of there. You know, I had a three door Honda prelude. I was actually dating my current wife, uh, Laura and, uh, never forget Paul. I loaded up that prelude and headed to new Orleans and, uh, it was an emotional, uh, 
time for both of us because I had everything I owned in the car and I was driving south to New Orleans. So I got a gig with Shell Oil. And I had a buddy at the time, Mike, that got a gig with Mobile. Um, and I got the gig with Shell. And to this day, I have no idea how I got the job at Shell because, I mean, that's a that's a big-time company. So I, I'm, I'm fired up. I go down to New Orleans. I got a gig with in in New Orleans as a salesperson, mm-hmm. and I got into sales immediately. Um, they hired me to take care of forty two dealers, independent dealers down in the New Orleans uh, metroplex. And again, Paul, I had no idea what I was doing. I'll be honest; I had no idea what I was doing. No formal training, college degree, big deal. All they do is teach you, you know, concepts of marketing and management or whatever. So I'm down there driving a four door. Buick Century, lovely car, uh, four banger. Just the thing was horrendous, but it was free. Company car, and uh, I worked for a guy, <laughs> Dave Cop. He's not. He's. He's. I'm sure he won't ever listen to this, but he was a classic micromanager. Came from accounting. Now, just think about me, and putting a manager on me that was an accountant micromanager. Now, how do you think that worked out? A little bit of a clash of the titans, buddy. Clash of the titans. So he suffocated me. And in spite of his management style, you managers out there that are listening, do not do what this guy did. It feels like you're doing the right thing. I'm going to do KPIs and I'm going to measure everything. Forget about it. Stop it. And so this guy, he was Every morning I had to meet him at Denny's for breakfast. Every morning. What are you doing today? What do you do? What'd you do yesterday? What order did you? I mean, he was just a maniac, right? He was like on Red Bull. And uh it's just funny now that I think about it. What how would I have handled that differently, being who I am now? I mean, it's obvious I would have and this is where I was naive. I didn't know how to handle stuff like that. I just right. wanted to take him out in the parking lot and cave his head in, you know. Well, you're new, trying to build a career. So, like, yeah, absolutely, you, you felt you couldn't challenge or do anything at that time. So, no. So, I I, I worked down there, forty two independent dealers, uh, great people, and uh, you know, got went around. And my job was to sell tires, batteries, and filters. And my boss's job was to negotiate the gas uh, prices on the street and the leases on the buildings. So, we had a team approach. Me and this uh, micromanager guy. And I went around and uh, I did all that, Paul, and and I did that uh, for for a couple of years. So then you're 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 in that you don't like it. You you know that uh, it can't be your future. It can't be something that you're going to get some longevity with and build a, a career. What are your what is your thoughts? What what do you do next? Well, again, you're giving me too much credit. You're 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 acting like I was a you know aware and intentional. I was 24, 25 years old. So let's let's drill down into this. And I can talk about it now because I'm older. I had no idea what I was doing in that situation. Uh, I was stressed with the my the micromanaging. And I to this day uh think about this. I it was a good job. Uh, Shell Oil was a good job. I'd already be retired, Paul. I would already be retired. They they paid a pension and a 401k. Wow. I would already be out. So the the thing there uh, that now that I look at it, and I tell people this, when you're faced with a situation like this and you have a boss 
Um, I should have handled it differently. Uh, I didn't handle it the right way. I, I ran. And uh, in hindsight, I wish that I would have um, done some things differently there in that situation, but I didn't. So uh, I found another opportunity in Dallas. And uh, at the time I was engaged with my now wife and we wanted to meet in a place uh, that um, would allow both of us to uh, be around each other. So she had an opportunity there in Dallas and I found an opportunity in Dallas. So it wasn't all bad. I, I went up and we, we uh, were able to have apartments close to each other and um, I found a new, a new gig, but in hindsight, uh, confronting that situation differently in a professional manner would have been the right approach. And, and matter of fact, when I met, when I met with the boss's boss, when the day that I resigned, he looked at me and said, uh, I'm in shock that you're doing this. I know this boss, Dave, he's not, uh, treating you the right way. You're a raw talent. And I wish you would have come and talked to me. That's what he told me. Wow. And he said, and he said for the next five years, the door's open. If you want to come back, you, all you got to do is call and uh, I'll give you a job back. He goes, cause I'm not happy about this. And, uh, so, you know, it, it resonated with me and, uh, but at this point I'd already accepted the other job. So I get up to Dallas and, uh, do some things up there with, you know, a couple of, you know, different gigs that frankly were just a transitional period in my life and trying to figure things out. And then, uh, Laura and I realized that we wanted to be back in Tulsa and I was doing some independent things with my parents. They, they were doing well at this point and they needed some, uh, some marketing and sales assistance. So I helped them basically in the family business for a while but I knew that was temporary and, you know, I didn't want to work for my mom and stepdad, uh, Joe at the time. And I knew that was temporary. It was kind of a, a transitional uh, period until I got back on my feet. Um, and I applied Paul and you're going to, this is where you kind of start thinking, okay, this makes sense. So I, I found this gig that uh, uh, I interviewed for and it was in the hydraulic arena kind of got into the industrial sales uh, side of it. And I still drive by the hotel that uh, I was interviewed in. And uh, it's funny, I, uh, there's this guy that you know, and uh, he interviewed me. And again, for whatever reason, he saw something in me and he brought me on board. And uh, that's when I started uh, the entry into uh, AeroQuip. By the way, Paul, turn your video off. Got it. So, uh, yeah. So that's when I got into the, uh, uh, AeroQuip gig. Was that when you, you were direct for AeroQuip at that time, correct? Yeah. I went into their program. They put, oh. as you know, went up to, uh, their, uh, facility in Ohio and did the training. It was me and four other gentlemen. And we went through the formal training, Ron Fleece and that whole gig and that, you know, all about that. And then, yeah, but to, you know, what's interesting about that talk just a little bit about that, Tommy, because <clears throat> companies don't do that today. Talk about what you had to go through then when you hired in with that company. Well, at that time, and you know, this, and this is kind of where Paul and I 
the the stars lined up and for some reason they decided Paul and Tom needed to meet each other because uh, audience Paul was we'll do this some other time he was a big part of Aeroquip but anyway what they did Paul is they took the you the new salespeople through formal formal training it was hardcore I think it was three or four months and you yeah. had to know everything I mean they were hardcore it was like going through boot camp to be honest it was too much I mean yeah. Uh, but it was intense and you better know your stuff or you're not going to make it. And I, I'll never forget. We had a couple of guys in there that decided to party more than study. And we got cool. We got pulled on the carpet a couple of times and it was intimidating because uh, here I had, you know, a, a young start and a family and <clears throat> I, you know, I didn't want to fail obviously. And so I get through that, but the training, to answer your question, the training was very intense and, uh, Aeroquip at that point in time was very, took a lot of pride in selling commodities. So if you think about it, it was connectors. I mean, it, it's a commodity, but they made, they took it to a level of making it special. What was interesting too, just, and I'm going to just say this real quickly and, and get you back into it, but. Before you, I think you had negotiated to be in the Tulsa area. Before that, years before that, or, or only a couple of years before that, the guys would go through training never knowing what territory they were going to go to. They hired in, and at the end, if they passed and, and got through the process, they'd say, okay, now the guy might be living in Ohio. They'd say, okay, you know what? You're going to uh, Texas. That's yeah, and I don't know power. if I'd have taken the job. If that was the case, I might have. But again, my wife and I were starting a family. And so yeah. we we actually did pretty well now that I think about it. I mean, I beat myself up sometimes, but I was down in New Orleans. My wife got a job in Dallas. We were in Dallas. We realized we wanted to be in Tulsa. So all in all, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. Uh, but Aeroquip was uh was a good industrial sales start for me. If you really look at it, that's when I got into industrial sales. Unfortunately, Fast forward, I was in the top five nationally. They had a contest. I won all this stuff. I was recognized. I mean, just stop and think about this for a minute. I was seen as the top five percentile of all, I think there was 130 reps nationwide. Oh, I was in the top 5% and I'm kicking ass and taking names. And I really liked the job. And then all of a sudden they had the downturn and uh, they just started cutting down to the bone. I think they went from 130 down to 30. Well, guess who they kept? They kept the veteran guys that were there 20, 30 years. They started getting down into, you know, how long have you been with the company? And it went from going down into the muscle, into the bone, and they I got laid off. Mm. What did that feel like, Tom? I mean, oh, it, it didn't just feel like it it was a ton of bricks on me and I will promise you this. And this is another lesson. I mean, honestly, Paul, I wish this sounds crazy. People listening, but especially the younger people, these are huge lessons. And I did not handle that situation correctly either. Um, I mean, I look at it now and I realize this is just how the world works. Companies struggle and they have to do this. So but it impacted me <clears throat> to the level of health. It impacted me uh, psychologically, physically. I just bought a house. I just bought a boat. And uh, I'm probably, I don't know how old I am, but I'm young. And it was a major source of stress for me. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> from that, 
I landed on my feet in three weeks and had a job making more money. But I can tell you, I didn't handle it the right way. And anybody that gets laid off, especially younger people with the family, uh, it's, it's easier said than done, but uh, there's some huge lessons in there too, Paul. I know. I know my friend, it took, uh, when we get into mine, mine was a little bit later in life. So, all right, you found a job three weeks later. What was that? Well, that's where I get into the buck, Anthony, and the, as you know, Berenson Fluid Power, and uh, uh, I was super grateful. Uh, it was a, it was a related uh, job to Aeroquip, so it was still hydraulic pneumatic. This company was a national player in uh, hydraulic pneumatics, uh, still are today, and so I got involved, and I was I was there connector person working with their sales team, which again, zero real experience with cultivating a pull through product in an existing team of men and women that had no interest. So just imagine Paul, <clears throat> this group of people that were selling high dollar, <clears throat> high ticket items. And I can, I come in there and say, Hey, what about the connectors? You need to you need to think about this. And they just kind of rolled their eyes. And so I had no skill sets of how to influence people in terms of doing it and wanting them to have the desire to think about uh, the connectors. I, I was more take it straight on head on. And frankly, the management at that time, I don't think were really that interested. I think it was a corporate play to appease uh, the vendor. You're exactly right. You're so you're, you're there. You've got to do that. What? Did, how did you adapt? What did you do? I just uh, rolled my sleeves up, sleeves up and went out and got after it. And I landed a few deals, and they I got some attention that way. They saw that I had some talent, and uh, frankly, you know, the guy at the time was a little bit complacent in terms of uh, the opportunity. I mean, and I don't blame this guy. I love him, but his big thing was the pumps and motors and the big hardware. So I was kind of like this sideshow distraction. And then that's really what happened is I, I was in, in that gig for eight years and I, and I was kind of to a point of not developing and I'll never forget. I'm sitting in my office home office at the time and the phone just randomly rings and it's a, it's a headhunter and they're talking to me about it, a job, uh, you know, a different gig. Did I lose you there? No, I'm here. I'm waiting for you to be the bull to ask me a question. <laughs> the new Dex gig. So what was that gig? What 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 came from that? Well, it was uh, Ingersoll Rand at the time, and it was uh, you know industrial again, industrial sales, and they were looking for talent. And this, this headhunter found me. This is before LinkedIn. I don't know how he found me, but he found me. And uh, I said, and then this is when I was there for eight years at uh, Berenson and um, my current boss. I mean, literally it, he'd go a month without calling me. So I was, I was not in a good spot in terms of development and still relatively young. So I took interest in it. And so I went up to uh, interview and uh, started down the path of uh, Ingersoll ran. That was several years ago ingersoll at that time was a huge company well known in the industry and you joined a, a 
pretty interesting division. Talk about it. Well, at that point, it was, as you mentioned, it's Ingersoll Rand, and it's this huge conglomerate, global, multi-billion dollar company. And frankly, this division was a little pimple. I mean, literally a pimple. And that's what happened is they divested at some point and said, you know, we don't know this business. And and for the audience, most of you know, that's fabrication. It was water jet. So I, I interview, I think I went through 18 or 19 hours of interviewing. And I mean, it was intense. I remember telling this headhunter uh, after like the 19th hour of interviewing, I, I told him, I said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to do any more interviewing. Um, at this point, they've looked up, looked in my ears, and, and they've seen everything about me. Yeah, make a decision, or I'll just go back to what I'm doing. I've got a job. So he said, "No, the the hiring manager wants to shake your hand in person and give you the the job." So I go back up and uh, took the job, and they started me off in robotics, doing um, uh, there's 55. Uh, tier one, tier two robotic uh, factories out there that uh, used water jet. And my job was to go out and, and build that business. It was a, it was an area that they did not develop and they did it as a sideshow. So I was hired to make it a legitimate business. So for the next, I don't know, four or five years, that's what I did. I went out and <clears throat> identify the total addressable market uh, back then they didn't have CRM. They had Excel spreadsheets. I took the total addressable market from, I think 10 up to 55. They didn't even know about the other 45. So I, that was a huge step. And then I identified the key decision makers. And then I went out and cultivated relationships and sold a bunch of equipment. So that's when I <clears throat> really started getting, hitting my stride and, uh, <clears throat> did some good things there. Uh, and from there, I went into a traditional role, uh, you know, more regional uh, type structure and did that for several years. And then I wound up and you're going to you're going to uh, understand now. Then I went into Aquadyne uh, down in Houston and they wanted me to run the whole sales and marketing division. <clears throat> the president at the time wanted me to go down and take care of that because the general manager had no experience at all. He was more of an operations person. So I went down to Houston and did that for three years. You were there three years and struggling with that as well, because it just, it, it was, it was different, right? It was a, it was a piece of the company that uh, they were changing their direction and all that stuff. So you had to struggle with a lot of that as you were trying to increase sales or keep sales at a, at a level and increase it as well. Correct. Well, it's funny you use terms like struggle and you had to you had to do this and you had to do that. I don't see it that way. I I okay. I'm a competitor, as you know. I, I like taking the breadcrumb and making a loaf of bread out of it. So I didn't see it that way. At this point, I'm hitting my stride. I'm like, I I can conquer the world. So I went down there and said, Hey, let's let's uh circle the wagons. And I gathered gathered my whole team and and I said, Listen, guys, uh, we're gonna get after it. And they looked at me like I was dropped off the, you know, off the moon. But we we circled the wagons. And frankly, there was a lot of weird stuff going on that I had to uh, turn around. And we rebranded some products and uh, 
changed the way that we approached the market and uh, did did some things that were actually a lot of fun, Paul. Uh, it was a, a smaller company, and uh, when we did things, it was almost immediate. There wasn't uh, a lot of committees and bureaucracy and red tape. It was, let's get after it. So it was actually very empowering, and I had a lot of autonomy. And um, and so to be honest with you, Paul, it, I never saw it that way. It was it was fun, and uh, I really really truly enjoyed it. What I know from that experience for you, Tom, is that's kind of where you implemented and really put in the team concept. I mean, you you literally had a little company there, but you were you we say little, but you were global. And to do that, you needed a team to really you know, pull things through the market. It's funny you bring that up. That was my first time into management and Dwayne gave me a shot. And so I forgot to mention that that was when I started managing people. And again, not really knowing what to do uh, on the job training, basically. But I knew how I wanted to be treated. Go back to Shell Oil and the Dave Cop, you know, micromanaging. I knew how I wanted to be treated. So that's I just took a page out of that. And said, I want to be that kind of boss that empowers people, uh, trusts people, gives them autonomy, competitive atmosphere. We we play hard, we work hard, we get in the dirt, and we get after it. So that's the culture that I built. I still apply that today. Uh, so I was winging that ele element, but I think it it was a good approach, and uh, we had a lot of success, but. That was the entry into management. So I do that for uh, three years. And then uh, the president called me and said, hey, I got to pull you out of there because now I've got another guy up here that needs some help. So I went back to fabrication, back to, to the traditional water jet and became, that's when I got into management up there and managed, you know, whatever X amount of salespeople and marketing and came back and, and started doing it for the fabrication division. You've been at that how long now? Uh, you know, that's been a good run, maybe 12 years. And I yeah. started with a veteran group of, of guys that, uh, are out there, Chuck and Skip and Pat and Jeff. And I was blessed to have the talent and it was interesting. And this is another thing. These guys were my peers, you know, so I go off and do the, uh, the gig in Houston. I come back and all of a sudden I'm all of a sudden I'm their boss. And they're looking at me like, dude, you're, you can't be my boss. And I had to, for the first six months, I had to go out and in the, in the trenches with a couple of them and say, listen, you know, let's work this out. I know you and I have done a lot together, but I am your boss. Now we got to work it out, but I'm not going to treat you like I'm your boss. I'm going to treat you with, you know, respect. Cause I know what you can do. And once they flipped the, the switch there and realized I was really more of a coach helping them win, they bought in. But that was an interesting dynamic. I mean, just imagine working with people for, I don't know, seven, eight years, and all of a sudden you come back one day and, hey, Tom's your boss. Yeah, I know that would be a tough one. But <clears throat> I know years later when I, when I joined the company, I saw how you handled that and the loyalty you got from your guys. Looking at Looking at kind of – your background now. So what's your end game now, Tom? I mean, you're, you're, you're doing well, you, you've got a great family, your, your, your kids are doing well. What, what, what is your end game? What does it look like? Well, my end game is I love what I do. I love the arena. 
that I'm in. I love leading teams. Uh, I love uh, the challenge of uh, generating revenue. I mean, I'm a revenue generating machine, my team. That's what we do. We, we are bringing in the revenue and it comes with a lot of stress. Literally right now, we're trying to get after it and, and, and close the year out. I mean, I love that grind. I, I'm a very competitive person. So that, that fits me well. And I think I'm pretty good at it. My team is really good. I mean, I'm blessed. I've, I've been blessed with, with a good team. I uh, always have. They're younger now. They're different, but they're still really talented. So I love that. But I'm also pursuing uh, other things, you know, nutrition and health. And I'm really looking at, you know, dialing in exercise and nutrients. And I mean, so that's kind of a side hobby. The podcast on the weekends. I mean, I'm a I'm a empty nester. So Saturdays, instead of shuffling around the house, my wife owns a business. She's working. You know, the 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 two old bulls has been an outlet for me. So I've got that going on. Like I mentioned, the the nutrition side of it. Uh, I'm doing some things. Uh, I'm trying to kind of test in myself to see what works. So I love uh, <clears throat> I love health and nutrition. I love uh, the podcast in terms of you know, educating and and meeting people and and networking. So that's kind of what's going on. Uh, I got a lot of fuel in the tank. I, I I think I could get after it with about any age group right now. I mean, running down the street and doing sprints, no. But I'm talking about intellectually and and from a engaging standpoint of mental uh, aptitude, all that stuff. I think I'm. I'm getting after it right now and I feel good about it. And, and I, I will tell you, that's a lot to do with nutrition and, and all the things that I'm, I'm, I'm really realizing a correlation there. Uh, you know, you're putting good fuel in your body, you're getting good sleep, you're limiting your alcohol, you're, you're meditating, you're doing some things and, and, and it's no magic formula. I, I, sometimes I I'm so energetic and so fired up. I've got to pull back because people are like, what are you doing, man? And so to be honest, that's where I'm at. Uh, I don't know where it's going. Uh, I may work till I'm 99 years old. Uh, my goal is to live to be a hundred and, uh, I'm not joking. I mean, I, I want to be a, I want to live till I'm a hundred. And if I fall over dead, uh, that's cool. I may fall over dead next week, but you know, I tell people all the time, I don't have a problem with dying. I just don't want it to be my fault. So think about that a minute. I don't have a problem with dying. I just don't want it to be my fault. So uh, I decided, you know, Hey, no more chicken fried steaks, uh, no more gallons of tequila and bourbon. All that stuff is, uh, poison for you and causes a lot of problems with your health. As you know, Paul, I preach to you all the time, but anyway, that's where I'm at. Not to go off on a nutrition tangent, because this just takes a little bit and I get fired up on that topic, but that's where I'm at, Paul. Do you ever think back? Do you ever look back and say, boy, I wish I would have done this different. I know you mentioned a couple of times during our conversation, but I mean, really think back and say, you know what? Uh, I wish I would have done this different. What, what, what would be the top one? Well, there's there's definitely a top one, and it's going to get more personable, but I don't mind. Uh, people can think whatever. 
Probably the biggest thing is my anxiety with how I handled sales. I mean, sales, Paul, as you know, it's quotas. It's a lot of airplanes, trains, planes, automobiles. You're not getting sleep. You're sleeping at a Holiday Inn Express. I mean, it's brutal. You're drinking cheap coffee and you're eating burgers and fries. And I mean, it's it's it can be a it can be hard on yourself and your family. You're away from your family. You're trying to hit numbers. You're trying to hit bonus. And if I had anything, if I could go back, if I could go back, I would really pursue uh, managing of that in my life and being able to shut down and and uh, have more of a peaceful uh, mindset as I carried that into my family. Because I look back and I've talked to my wife about this. I would come in hot from my trips and still be just grinding and it would go through the weekend and and it would impact the environment of my family. So that's probably the biggest thing that I have uh, realized that I've, I've, I wish I could go back, right? There's no dress rehearsal in life, but that's the area that I, my biggest regret is more of the personal side. It, uh, and I know you real well, Tommy, and, and we all look at stuff like that and think, think a little bit different when it when we've got that experience right experience is knowledge right so i i'm i think when i look at your family and what you've done yeah but in a way you know what look at your success look at what you've done especially with your your son and daughter and laura you have a great marriage going forward what do you see now what's interesting to me tom is you and i have gone through an era where we've watched where you've had businesses that were single ownership right and they were owned by uh, private individuals. And then all of a sudden they went to generations. Well, today that's being different. They're being bought by equity companies. What do you see as the good and bads of that? Well, I mean, there's, there's definitely good and bad. And there's, you know, it's like somebody saying, Hey, lawyers are all bad or salespeople are all bad or whatever. And that's the same thing. Private equity. There's really good private equity. There's really bad private equity. And it all comes down to, leadership. So, you know, what I've seen is good leadership, bad leadership. Uh, you can't just throw them all into a bucket and same thing with proprietors. I mean, there's, there's, uh, individual owners out there that are bad, right, Paul, there's good ones. So I'm, I think the key is leadership, 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 look at the leadership, look at the culture, look at their time horizon. Are they investing are they squeezing the the lemon and trying to get more juice? That's all they care about. Are they investing more in more lemons? That's what I look at. Uh, and there's seasons at every private equity early on they're investing. And then towards the end, they're trying to get the annuity out of it. I mean, I get it. If you and I bought a business, I mean, there's going to be a early years of, of putting on a new roof and new floor and new paint. That's the investment side. But towards the end, you're trying to make money. That's the goal is to make money. So I respect private equity. Their goal is to make money. EBITDA. So I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. It's just as a professional, if you're listening, if you're in the back end of that or front end of that, or if you have bad leadership or good leadership, that's important. So if you're interviewing or looking for opportunities, Look at the leadership, look at where they're at in the cycle and make sure that you check those boxes because you are an independent, you're an independent contractor. You can go work for anybody you want. 
And those are the decision tree matrix that you have to put together. That was kind of where I was hoping it would lead you, because in one of the interviews that we did with one of uh, your your good friends, he mentioned, you know, when you're hiring a, a young salesman, you want to hire slow and fire fast. So what I just heard from you there for young sales guys, know your leadership, know it quickly. If it's bad leadership, get out, get out quickly and go find that good leadership. Yeah, leadership's everything. It's like in college or high school, if you have a bad teacher, if you have a good teacher, just think about that. You know, somebody's trying to teach you math. If it's a good teacher, you love and you still talk about that teacher in fifth grade. If that teacher was bad, you still talk about how bad they were. Same thing in private equity. You know, there's there's great leaders. There's people that have a vision that are they they care about people, and there's other leaders that are so focused on the EBITDA they they lose sight of the troops and it's a miserable environment. I've been fortunate. Uh, there's been good leadership uh, where I've been most most of the time. And 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 again, they have to make money. So that's the other thing, Paul. We can't just look at this and like, hey, you know, it's all about me. They got to make money and you've got to be an asset. That's another huge thing. You have to be an asset or you're a liability. You and I've worked together. We've been out on jobs and we've had those phone calls where, hey, you've got eight people. You got to cut it down to two. I remember that you and I were working together and I happened to be your your your, <laughs> your A player and you kept me. Yep. So, you know, you have to be an asset. Companies have to make money. Breaking news. We're in business to make money. Not this isn't a, isn't a charity. Exactly. You hit it right. As always, out of the ballpark, my friend, you did it again. So, well, I, you know, I think today was great. Uh, Paul, I, I appreciate uh, the questions and, and, you know, sometimes it's difficult to talk to, to talk about yourself and, and I look forward to talking to you and you're, I'm going to have to use some really creative questions because you're, you're very humble, but I look forward to uh, digging into your stuff. We've, we've had some great conversations and it's been the ease of conversation between you and I over the years, just like we, we had with this one, Tommy. And no, I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, this is another episode of two old bulls and, uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Apple and, uh, Spotify. We also have email, uh, old bulls at outlook.com. Paul, you have a good day. Listeners have a good day and thanks for listening. All right, buddy. Thank you. <laughs>